There we go. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Leviticus 27, I'm going to start at verse 1, and if you would follow along with me. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from five years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. <coughs> if the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male 5 shekels of silver and for a female the valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or bad, <coughs> or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. And if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. <clears throat> when a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, and then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed, a homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. <clears throat> but if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. 
if he, de- if he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee. And the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. If the year of Jubilee, the, in the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep. It is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. If it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord or anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Leviticus. And I thank you, Lord, for even this last chapter that seems foreign to our ears, but was very pertinent for your children back in that day and that has pointers in it for us that point us to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I just ask that you would help me as I try to preach and help us all as we listen. Lord, I ask that you would help me to be faithful to your word, not to add to or take away from your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient, that we would receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls, that you would be honored through our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. This last chapter of Leviticus might seem rather odd or misplaced. I think last week I mentioned it was sort of like an appendix because it seemed like the book wrapped up at the end of chapter 26, and then we have this chapter 
on vows and redeeming vows and what can be redeemed and what cannot be redeemed and so on and so forth. <coughs> but someone has said God has given his law and perhaps the next logical impulse among God's people, if their heart was in the right place, is, well, I want to dedicate, I want to worship the Lord, I want to give to the Lord who has redeemed us from Egypt, from the house of bondage, and this is a handbook, as it were, on laws about what you can dedicate, and if you decide to dedicate something and then change your mind and want to buy it back and redeem it. Um, so these guidelines were very pertinent for those people in that day. God made provisions for things vowed to be able to be redeemed. Like if I dedicated a field to the Lord, but then changed my mind, I could buy it back at full price plus a fifth on top of it. So one of the things this chapter is doing is it's trying to curb rash vows or hasty dedications. Because if you dedicate something and you decide to uh, change my mind on that, well, you had to pay the value of that thing plus a fifth on top of it. So one of the things we know from the rest of the scripture is God said, if you vow something, don't be slow about paying it. Listen to this word from the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 4, listen to these words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So we see from the Bible, other parts in the Bible, that <clears throat> God did not want his people to make hasty or rash vows. And maybe if you are familiar with the uh, book of Judges, in the book of Judges, we, the famous guy that we remember who made a hasty, rash vow was Jephthah. I don't know if you remember Jephthah, but he said, Lord, if you give me victory in this battle, I will sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out of my house when I get back home. Well, the first thing that came out of the door of his house was his own daughter. And then uh, the, the text is sort of vague there, but some scholars believe that he went through with it. He sacrificed his daughter, but other scholars believe that he redeemed his daughter based on these, these laws of redemption in the, in the Torah. But anyway, the Bible is definitely against rash vows, and you can see built right into this chapter is a monetary deterrent for such things. However, I want to say this. This chapter is also a picture of God's grace because you could dedicate something to the Lord or vow something to the Lord and then change your mind 
and God graciously provided a way for you to be able to redeem that and buy it back. So we see characteristics of God in Leviticus 27. He is he wants us to be careful, but he also is gracious. Now there are some things like things devoted to the Lord that you <clears throat> that were already his and you don't dedicate those things like the firstborn or the uh, those devoted to destruction or uh, the tithe of your herds. Those things belonged to the Lord. So just in, <clears throat> in summary, from verses 2 down through verse 13, there were specific rules for vows involving people and animals. I am not going to go through all of that with a fine-tooth comb this morning. Um, there's even rules for clean and unclean animals. Um, and then there's, uh, there's even provision there in verse 8 uh, for the poor. Um, the Lord says in verse 8, If someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he will be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. I just see this kind of thing all through the Torah, where God makes special provisions. He goes out of his way for the poor, and that's a that's a characteristic of God. It's a beautiful thing about God that He cares for the disadvantaged and the poor, and that's why He wants us to do the same. But then from verses 14 down through 25, there are rules for vows involving houses and property. <clears throat> and then finally, in verses 26 through 33, rules for vows involving things devoted to the Lord. <clears throat> so I would like to um, move from... Leviticus 27 toward the New Testament and how this applies to us today. And I'd like to do that rather quickly. Um, <clears throat> so the Old Testament clearly says, pay what you vow. It's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Um, so the Lord takes seriously our vows. And, you know, even today, even today, sometimes we, we dedicate things to the Lord, don't we? If, if you're a Christian today, if you have ever claimed Christ and through the waters of baptism, symbol, in following him in obedience, you are publicly saying, I dedicate my life to Jesus Christ. So there's a type of vow that we, even we as Christians take. If you're a Christian, even if you're a believer and you haven't yet been baptized, but you're banking on Jesus. You're not just banking on Jesus. You're dedicating yourself to Jesus if you're a Christian. A Christian is a person who says to Jesus, I swear allegiance to you as my king. No longer am I going to follow King Drew or King Billy Bob or Susie Q or whoever you are. I'm going to swear allegiance to you and I'm going to follow you. That's a type of dedication of yourself to God. So don't just think, 
oh, Leviticus 27, because that has no bearing on my life at all. We dedicate ourselves to God. We dedicate ourselves and take solemn vows when we stand at the altar and in marriage. These are, those are solemn vows. Will you take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward? Will you keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live? I will. That's a vow. The whole structure of it is in the form of a vow. <clears throat> so this, Leviticus 27 is not unrelated utterly from our lives today. Like we sang, it's the same God, and he takes our vows very seriously, what we vow today. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now what, <clears throat> what did Jesus mean right there? Some, some Christian people, some especially from like the Quaker church, believe that Jesus taught it's wrong to take vows or make oaths at all. So they, they even would want to turn away from that in a court of law, or I don't know how they treat marriage vows, but they would just want to say, Jesus is strictly speaking, don't take any vow or oath at all. <clears throat> I think what Jesus, I believe what Jesus was after is in our everyday lives how we say things like, Swear to God, or as a kid, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Do you remember that, or is that just old? Maybe that was old Indiana kids talk. But we, what Jesus, I believe what Jesus is saying here is don't talk like that. On a regular, daily basis, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of your word. I do not believe, however, that Jesus meant in special weighty cases, like in a court of law, where you used to in America have to put your hand on a Bible and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. We used to say, so help me God, and we used to put our hand on a Bible. I believe that in... There are special occasions like at the marriage altar and like in a court of law where it is legitimate to submit to a vow or an oath. And I don't think that's what Jesus meant in uh, Matthew 5.33. There are other Christians who would disagree with me on that, but I believe there are appropriate places to take a vow. You know why I say this? The Apostle Paul on more than one occasion said, God is my witness. I am not lying. That's, a, that's an oath formula. God himself 
God himself swore to Abraham when he could find no one greater than himself. He swore to by himself. You are, or excuse me, it's in the book of Hebrews where God himself takes a vow like that so that we could have strong confidence. Uh, we who have fled to re for refuge to Jesus, God swore an oath that Jesus would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So God himself entered into an oath formula. The apostle Paul did on special occasions. So I do not believe that what Jesus is prohibiting in Matthew 5 is never take any vows, never make any oaths. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I think he meant as a daily routine lifestyle, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I have a whole segment from the London Baptist Confession, which I am not going to read, but it's in chapter 23 of lawful oaths and vows, which you could look up later. Um, but we ought to consider our baptismal vows, our marriage vows, etc. We ought to seriously consider that we as Christians have vowed our allegiance to Jesus. We have vowed to him our loyalty and our love. May he help us to keep our vows. You know what else this passage points to me? You know, somehow, Somehow, even Leviticus 27 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, isn't it? And, and I just want to say this. Leviticus 27, even though it's talking about oaths and vows, really what it's talking about is redeeming the things that can be redeemed, the things that can't, and the stipulations on redeeming those vows. Like, oh, I dedicated this field to the Lord, but I've changed my desire for whatever reason, and I want to buy it back. I want to redeem it. Really, over the whole chapter, I instead of just saying rules about vows and oaths, it should say rules regarding redemption of vows because it's all about redemption. And that, of course, points us to Jesus Christ. We all, in many ways, have not been true to our vows. We have not been true to our maker. And Jesus is a redeemer of people's lives, of people's lives who owe God a great debt, but we cannot pay. I would like, if you would please, turn with me in the New Testament over to the book of 1 Peter. I'd like to finish our, the rest of our time over here in 1 Peter. If you're using the Black Pew Bible, this is page 1203. <clears throat> this section that I'm about to read, and, and you follow with me in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. <clears throat> I'm just going to read down through verse 21. 
It talks about Jesus being our redeemer, our rescuer, our ransomer. <clears throat> this is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's a quote out of Leviticus, by the way. Going on there in verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal or redeemed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now go back up to verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. <clears throat> Peter is not Peter's talking to believers who are alive in the world. They weren't literally exiled, like sent to some foreign country. He was talking about, what he's talking about is, we're living in exile because our real home is in heaven with Jesus. And right now, right now, this world lies under the power of the evil one. Of course, the evil one lies under the power of King Jesus, who's going to destroy him utterly someday soon. But in the meantime, this is not our home. This is, this is like this earth has been overtaken by the prince of the power of the air, who is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all used to live, indulging the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the mind. But Jesus rescued us and redeemed us from that foolish way of living so that this is not our home. And Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. If you, if you, call, on, if you call God your father, the one who judges impartially everyone according to their deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear during your time of exile. What does he mean by time of exile? He means while you're living in this age, in this world. He calls it our time of exile. This is not our home. <clears throat> I usually don't do this, but just say that with me. This is not my home. This is not my home. This is not my home. According to the Bible, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've sworn to King Jesus your loyalty and your love, and your allegiance, then this is not your home. So, if you call on 
if you call God your Father, and by the way, if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, guess what you're doing? You're calling God your Father. You fit verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. So if you call him as Father, the one who impartially judges each one according to their deeds, then conduct yourselves during your time of exile here in fear. What does that mean? I don't think it means terror, like, oh, I'm scared to go out of my house. I think what he means is godly fear, holy fear, reverence of God, a desire to want to be near him, and yet you respect him. <clears throat> Somebody described it like this. There's a terrible hurricane. We're living in hurricane season. And <clears throat> it's awesome and it's fearful, and you could die. And yet, if somebody says, hey, come over to my bunker because I have a storm-proof bunker <clears throat> with all kinds of good things to eat and stuff, and you come over to that bunker, and you're standing at the window of that bunker, and you just there's a part of you that is in awe of that storm outside, and you want to look through the window to see it. But yet, there's a trembling because you certainly don't want to get out of the bunker. Well, that represents the fear of God. God is awesome, and you want to see him. You want to know him, and yet there's a trembling because you realize who you're dealing with. That's what the Bible means when it talks about godly fear, and I think that's what verse 17 means. If you call him father, the one who judges each one according to, the, to their deeds impartially, then conduct yourself during your time of exile here in fear but look at the very next verse, verse 18, the first word, knowing, knowing that you were redeemed from the, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, <clears throat> not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. <clears throat> <clears throat> So when he says conduct yourselves with fear, what, he, what he's driving at is God is the impartial judge, but also, also knowing that you were redeemed. And the word in the ESV is ransom. It, it's, a, it's a Greek word that appears three times in the New Testament. And the other two times the, the ESV translates it redeemed. It, it's just simply a word that conveys to be released by a payment to be released by a payment. So they chose to translate it ransom, but it, it could also be, it's lutro, it could also be redeemed. You were redeemed from your feudal way of life. <clears throat> it's like Jesus fulfills Leviticus 27 because we were the ones that couldn't pay what we owed to God. And he comes and pays it back with his perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross. And what this text is saying is knowing that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, let that drive a reverent, godly fear in the way you live your life now. In the way you think about your baptismal vows, in the way you think about your marriage vows, in the way you live. The weightiness 
of the price that was paid for our redemption should drive a It should drive a carefulness about the way we live. And when I say a carefulness, I mean that godly fear that he's talking about in, in, in verse 17. And you know, Christians get painted a lot of things by the world. Like, you know, you guys just need to cut loose. You guys can't have fun. You're always restraining yourself. And I want to say, define fun when you stand before God. Define what is joy. Someday soon we're going to stand before God. Maybe this week. God willing, my wife and I are headed out right after church to go down south and see some of our kids. But we may not make it back. I don't know. Years ago, my father said to my mom, I'll be right back. And he never came back. We don't know. We don't know what the next our holds, but someday soon we will stand before God. And let me tell you, if you're in Christ, it will be, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be fun with a capital F, but it'll be weighty, awesome, blowing out of the water any kind of fun we've had here kind of fun if you belong to Christ on that day. But there, there should be, because of the price that Jesus paid with his own blood, there should be in our lives a carefulness about the way we walk and the way we live and the words that come out of our mouth. And, and, and it ought not feel oppressive. It ought to feel like, you know, as, as, as C.S. Lewis said, all of that sounds restrictive to the person on the outside, but to the, it doesn't sound restrictive to the person who is in love. like somebody saying, oh man, you always got to check with your wife. I mean, come on, you are, you are in bondage. And to the husband who's in love, he says, oh no, I have been set free. And if you, if Jesus is your treasure, to be careful how you live is an honor to him and it's an honor to you it's no burden to the one who is in love this passage in first peter seeks to convey the awesome weightiness of our redemption we were ransomed and redeemed we were bought out of the slave market of sin by the precious blood of christ a massively and infinitely valuable price has been paid for us. Oh, may we, as a result, conduct ourselves with godly fear throughout our time of exile. You know what I love about this Jesus? He's our Redeemer. Even when we've broken our vows and even when we have not been true to our vows he will forgive us and his death will pay even for that if we will repent if we will turn to him and come to him and 
confess that sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because that payment on Calvary was so infinitely weighty. It covers all my transgressions and yours and everybody in the whole world who would ever bank their hopes on him. He is our great vow keeper and he is our great redeemer. I pray that you I pray that you will surrender your life to him and you will swear allegiance to him. Let's pray. Lord Lord Jesus Christ Praise and honor belong to you. Eternity will not be enough time to fill up the praise that is due to you. But we'll be so glad to start. We'll be so glad to be with you forever, Lord, if we belong to you now. Lord, in this crazy world that we live, would you remind us Would you remind us that we have vowed our lives to you? And would you remind us that you have vowed your blood for us? And you redeemed us from every lawless deed so that you might purchase us for yourself as your own special people who are zealous for good deeds in this world. Lord, would you help us to be careful how we live because we recognize the awesome price of your precious blood. Lord, if there's any here today that have not yet surrendered their life to you, and sworn allegiance to you as their king and their God, I pray that today would be that day. And Lord, I pray that all of us would live in such a way that when we meet you, we will be glad. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.